Oh, nope. That was my fault. The switch on there that says on, that's what you turn it to. Um, I feel a little uh, like overwhelmed, to be quite honest with you. Uh, my first Easter Sunday here at First Christian, baptizing my son um, after a pretty amazing weekend, after being um, wowed by the students of this church this morning with the service that they put on, I'm pretty blown away. But that's the point of Easter, is to be blown away. The point of Easter is to be blown away by the love of the Savior for you and for me. And so we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, my personal style of preaching is just go through books of the Bible. Um, partly because I can be a little lazy, and I don't have to plan any great dramatic things, and all these great illustrations, and have stuff cool happen, because I'm just trusting in God's Word each week. But also because I know, um, even I was a teacher and a part-time professor for a while, that if you're good at public speaking, you can convince anybody of anything. If you're a good public speaker, then you can motivate and you can pull the heartstrings of people, you can get people emotionally charged, and you can make things happen. Um, So I think it's a dangerous place when it becomes a cult of personality. When it's the pastor and what he has to say and the way he crafts a speech and he has three points and an amen, I think it's dangerous. So we go through books of the Bible because then all I have is God's word. And then I know that anytime something happens, it's a power of the Holy Spirit, it's a work of God's word, has nothing to do with me. Uh, My job as a preacher is to show up having studied God's word and then lay it out to you and then let him do all the work. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. So we're not going to show clips from the Passion movie the only rated R movie that's okay to show in church, I guess. And we are not going to just jump right to the end of the gospel. Um, Just like the storybook Bible that I read to you, every part of the scriptures whisper the name of Jesus. Every piece from beginning to end, it's all about him. So where we land in in the gospel of Mark is the story of a little girl who has died. She's sick and a woman who has a long term illness. And then the daughter dies. And I want you to see in the midst of this, we've been going through Mark, that the Gospel of Mark is proving over and over again that Jesus is authority over everything. He's authority over sickness. He's authority over the weather. He's authority over demonic forces and spiritual battles. He is in control of it all. And then we see that come to fruition in this last kind of story in the Gospel of Mark where he's in control of life and he's in control of death. And he brings healing and he brings new life. What a better message for Easter than a story that proves that new life is yours through Jesus. So let's pray, and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you again for today. I'm honestly uh, emotionally spent already. Um, But Lord, you have more for us. You have more in your word to open up our eyes, to open up our ears, to hear, and you have a space for us to see just how much you love us. On this day, we celebrate your resurrection, the day filled with joy, the time of guilt and shame and in all the stuff that we carry around from movies like the Passion movie. That's done on Friday. That's in the past. Today's a day of joy. Today's a day of celebration. Today's a day where we are motivated by your love for us to be obedient, not fear or guilt or shame. So if anyone in this room is walking here with a pile of stuff on their shoulders of guilt and shame from the past that they wish they had never had, they are in a good place because we're all here. But Lord, what we know, we cling to the cross that there's hope and there's joy found in you because you have no more letters of condemnation written against your children. That we are free 
and we are washed by the blood that you shed on the cross. So I pray, Lord, today that hearts are open, ears are open, and that people receive your word with a glad heart. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, Brady, I don't know if I was changing. I don't know if we prayed for Brady or talked about Brady, did we, during prayer time? Brady is an eight-year-old boy in our church who has, he's undergoing chemotherapy for cancer that it was found in his leg. And he is currently in Denver. He started his treatment Friday, and he's going to be there till probably Thursday. And so as a church family, there's a lot that we've poured into them, and we're trying to help them out even more. But the one thing that Linda told me yesterday is that he would like some hats. And I am quite confident that most of you in this room love to purchase Wyoming hats for him, whether it's a cowboy or it's got deer antlers or something on it. There's plenty of hats. But we can also sprinkle in some clearance beanies, some cool snowboarder beanies in there. Um, and I would like for us to bless Brady with a pile of hats. His hair fell out, um, and then he just went ahead and buzzed it. He'd only had two treatments so far and already hit. And he's a little self-conscious about it. So let's get him some pretty amazing hats. And you can bring him into the church, or, and we'll just have a box of them. And he can just have a different one for every day. That would be pretty awesome. And if any of you want to shave your head to go along with him, then I've got a pair of clippers, and I'll do it for you. And maybe we can talk my wife into letting me go a little shorter. Okay. Mark. We jump right in with a a religious leader. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Now, Jesus has just left. We've, we've watched this dance in 4 and 5 where Jesus is hanging out and he's preaching and he's teaching the word like no one's ever heard. And people are drawn to him. Well, then it becomes too much. They won't let him eat. He's just surrounded by people. He gets in a boat and he goes to the other side where the Gentiles are. And he finds some rest. Well, we just got done last week talking about how um, the, this demon-possessed man comes out and he casts out the demons and it goes in the pigs and they run off the cliff. So... He can't get away from the work of the kingdom. So he leaves. He's like, well, I can't go there either. So then he goes back to the other side. He's back to his hometown of Capernaum. So he's back in the hometown. Uh, Well, not his hometown. He's back in his location, his base of operation on the Sea of Galilee. He's there. As soon as he gets off the boat, the crowds swarm him. Again, they're they're in awe of him for healing, for teaching. They're blown away by this man. And then Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. Now, this isn't a priest. This isn't a Levite. This is more like a deacon or maybe um, the committee chair of worship. I don't know if Marsh is in here or not. There, right in front of my face. Someone in the church who has a role. This isn't just a person who's there. This is a person who has a role in the church. So it says ruler of the synagogue, but he's not a priest. So this is a man who isn't so steeped in the Jewish custom and tradition that he would not open his heart to something different. We see that. We've seen that already in the Pharisees. They're unwilling to open their hearts. This is a ruler in the church. He, he's a blue-collar worker in the church. He's a servant. He's the men who just cooked you all breakfast. He's the women who, well, one woman, well, two, Tammy too, who brought us towels after we got out of the water. You know, you, it's, that's who this guy is. So he is unashamed. He has nothing to prove. He has nothing to lose. He's running because he knows that Jesus has been healing people. And his daughter is sick. And I bet more than one or two of you have been in a spot where if you knew 
beyond a shadow of a doubt, there was someone in this city who had the power of healing, you would do anything in your power to get close to that man. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Of course you would. I would too. His daughter's sick. She's been sick. She's almost dead. So Jairus doesn't care about any tradition, and he runs. And Jesus, in an instant, says, nothing. He just went. That's the compassion of Jesus. We continue on. And a great crowd followed him and thronged around him, about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I know. And who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she said, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Again, Someone with nothing to lose. Now, in Jewish culture, if you have a discharge of blood and you're a woman, then at that time, you were not to be, you were considered ritually unclean. So during that time, every woman was not allowed to go to temple, was not allowed to partake, was not allowed to be part of anything, really. It was a time of the month that you were ostracized. Well, this woman had a consistent issue for 12 years straight. So this woman would have been like a leper in her own family. She would have been outside, had a, a room outside the house. She couldn't be near the kitchen. She couldn't be near anybody. Couldn't go to temple. Couldn't go to church. Couldn't go to the store. Couldn't do anything. She's totally ostracized from all of society based upon the rules. She's desperate. Can you imagine that? We know for a fact that if you talk to anybody that works in a prison or does psychology with prisoners, that if you completely ostracize people, whether in prison, or you've heard stories of children locked in closets, and we find them, and we rescue them, that they are totally distraught, they're wrecks. If you're void of human contact, you will be a mess. So here's this woman, and she hears about Jesus. She's a Jewish woman, steeped in the scriptures. She's been to the temple, but for 12 years, she's away. And she knows, if I can just touch the hem, if I can just touch his robe, I know he can heal me. Where does that come from? We have no recollection of that anywhere in the scriptures. People want him to heal, want him to touch, but the idea of touching the garment, where does that come from? I want you to see how, how amazing she understood the scriptures and knew exactly who Jesus was. In Numbers 15, 37 to 41, it says, The Lord says to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. So if you've ever been or seen a traditional Jewish ceremony or a service or been around any maybe Hasidic Jew, you'll see these little strings, these little cords that will hang down like, like it looks like it's on their belt. But it's part of a prayer shawl that they will wear continuously. And you'll see the little tassels hanging out of, of, off the belt or hanging out of the pants. So it's all tucked in. They leave the tassels to hang. And it's called, in Hebrew, the kanaf, the borders of the prayer shawl. And I don't know how to pronounce it in the way that zit zit. Tassels on the end of the prayer shawl. So you got these tassels on the end of your prayer shawl. Okay? So every traditional rabbi, every Jewish man, so Jesus would have walked around with a prayer shawl. He's a rabbi. He would have had one of these. He would have wore it around. You put it over your head when you're in prayer. If you've watched any of the History Channel's Bible story, you see, especially I think it's Nicodemus and even the priests, they're always like throwing it on, they're kind of hiding, they always get this thing on. It's the prayer shawl. So he has one. Well, we have in numbers that every Jewish man is to have one of these. Well, we also see in Malachi a prophecy, a prediction of the Messiah. 
But for you who fear my name, the sum of righteousness shall rise up with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That there will be healing in the wings of the Messiah. This does not mean he looks like an angel with big wings. It's not angel from the X-Men, those of you that read comic books a little bit. That's not what we're talking about here. The same word, wings, translates as kanaf, which is exactly like the border hem or the tassel of the garment. So the exact same word is being played here. When we see it in Greek, it means edge, border, hem, or tassel. And we see in the Old Testament, the promise of the healing is going to be in the tassels, the wings of the Messiah. So this woman knew her Bible, well, her Torah. She knew her scriptures. That if he's the Messiah, all I have to do is touch the hem of his prayer shawl and I'll be healed instantly. So she's not just a woman who's desperate. She's a woman who has a trust and a faith that the Messiah can heal her. She presses through the crowd, opening herself up to be even beaten. That ritually unclean, going in to touch the Messiah, going in to touch this rabbi. She's pressing through the crowd as she reaches out in desperation and grabs his tassel. And immediately she's healed. She understood the promise of the Messiah. She had faith. And we've seen over and over again in the Gospel of Mark that faith has brought healing to all the people that have come to Jesus. In that instant, Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out of him, again, Jesus, he hears what you think, he perceives that healing's left him. If that doesn't make you kind of go, this guy's a little different than everyone else, I don't know what will. He immediately turned about to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Who touched the wings? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and you, yet you say, who touched me? Can you just picture the disciples? There are hundreds. Who hasn't touched you? They've stepped on your feet. They've bumped you. You smell like them. They smell like you. This, this is a packed house. But yet Jesus knew what had happened. And he looked around to them to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. When Jesus encounters you, there's a gingerness. If he's taken away all of your sin on the cross, there's an awe that comes with that. He's not just buddy Jesus, the good guy who wants to help you out. There's an awe in there. There's a, there's a, there's a mystery that he spoke existence into existence. And yet he's here in flesh as a man, and so this woman is frightened. She touched his garment, she's healed, and she just shrinks back to the crowd. She's so used to being away from everyone. And Jesus turns around and calls her out. Who touched me? Everyone. She knew exactly what he was talking about. It was me. And he tells her, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Go back to your family. Go back to your husband. Go back to your children. Go back to the temple. You're free of this. In an instant, Jesus brought freedom to this woman. In an instant. He then continues on. While he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So that's callous, isn't it? There's men in his house, servants in his house. They come to him and say, Your daughter's already gone. Don't even bother him. 
There's no point in this. Leave him alone. Jesus, overhearing what the, sorry, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the rulers of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. The faith of Jairus drove him to break all customs, to break all tradition, and he ran to the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. But this is so radical, such a future promise of what's to come, that Jesus says, only a few of you are going to come. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that if everyone saw him heal this girl, raise her from the dead, then it would spread like wildfire. People would demand him to pick up a sword, kill Romans, and that is not why he came. He brought a freedom in his life that's different than just being freed of the chains of a jailer. And so he said, this is going to be temporary. This is going to be just for you. You get this picture because you are the closest. You're the three tightest to me, and I want you to see this. You need to know exactly who I am. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now you have to understand what's going on culturally here. That when someone died, they were professional mourners. Your job was to show up at someone's house in the midst of tragedy and cry. That was their job. They made extra money as professional mourners. So when someone died, it was almost like a testament to your wealth or a testament to the life of the person that died is how many people were crying. As if the family who had lost in, in the tragedy wasn't enough, they had paid mourners that came in. So these people, have they don't care about this girl. They don't care about this family. They're just wailing because it's a paycheck. And Jesus walks in and says, why are you weeping? And they laugh at him. The callous heart of these people, they don't care about this family. They don't care about this girl and her life and the legacy that's lost. They don't, they don't care. And Jesus is not happy. Because every life is precious to him. Every life matters to him. And for people to cheapen loss of life, to cheapen life lived, infuriates him. Doesn't it you? Of course it does. Of course it does. So Jesus kicks them out. He put them all outside. Do you think that was a friendly suggestion? Hey guys, you just laughed at the death of this, the death of this little girl. Could you please maybe leave? He drove them out. There goes their paycheck. There goes their livelihood. There goes all that. Th- he drove them out. And then he takes mom and dad. And he takes the three disciples he brought with him. And he goes into the room. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. Don't miss that. A woman with 12 years of a disease and a girl 12 years of age. You have Mark sandwiching these miracles. That this woman, the whole time in which she was suffering and disconnected is the exact same amount of time this girl had connected to her family. He's bringing everything back to how it's supposed to be. 
You're not supposed to be diseased and sick. You're not supposed to die as a 12-year-old. He's bringing it all back to the way it's supposed to be. He's proving that he is God in flesh. So he tells her. They were amazed and overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So you get this dichotomy of, it's not time. It's not time to march to the cross. It's not time for this to end. He needs to make an impact on more people's lives because Jesus gives up his life. You don't take it from him. You're a fool if you believe that an army of soldiers coming to the God of the universe in flesh couldn't have stopped it all from happening. You're a fool. In an instant, after Peter cuts off the ear, he says, I mean, he just throws the ear back on. There you go, there's your ear. And then he says, I could have brought armies that could have wiped all this out. He gave up his life for you and for me. It wasn't taken from him. So he tells him, don't tell anybody. Not not yet. Not yet. It's going to happen, but it's got to happen in Jerusalem. So keep this quiet. And oh, by the way, get her some food. His compassion never ends. He's angry at, is that even a word? Non-compassionate people. He's angry at, at the disciples who think that people don't have a faith that can press through. He gets upset with them, and then he, but yet he has this compassion. Little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. And get her some food. His compassion doesn't end. So what's that mean for us? A few things. When confronted with our mortality, we always run to the cross. I was never in the military, but I've heard this when I, I taught history, and you'd read it everywhere, and you'll, talk, you'll hear people say there's, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Well, most of us don't really know what a foxhole is, um, but it would be what you dug specifically in World War II, or you trenched in, you're in the trench. When bullets are flying and you're about to die, atheism really has no place. Because if that's it, I mean, if atheism is the key, if atheism is true, then why would you ever follow any rule of society? Why would you care about anything? Why would you ever have a child? Why would, why would you? There's no point. If that's it, we live, we die, we become you know, fertilizer for worms, then why wouldn't you just party it up like crazy? There'd be no reason to live in any kind of anything but anarchy. But when you find out that your child is sick, or you find out that you're sick, people are more open to the truth of the gospel than ever before because they're at their wit's end. But if I'm honest with you, I don't want that ministry. I don't want to be like an ambulance chaser pastor who's going to run to the hospital when someone's sick. That's awful. It's depressing. God will use it. I want us to have a rock-solid, firm foundation in the Word of God and we can trust Him no matter what. Of course you're going to draw closer to the Father when tragedy hits, because that's what you're supposed to do. Draw closer to Him, not run from Him. But I don't want to be the funeral pastor that takes the death of a loved one and that turns that into a gospel presentation. That's, in my opinion, it's kind of slimy. I want to be the pastor that constantly draws you to the joy and love of Jesus Christ. That says, look at His love. Look what He did. All the things that he's done for you, he's proven himself faithful. I don't have to fire and brimstone and 
throw hell in your face and make you feel really awkward and weird. And I don't have to do that because I have a better story. That this love letter written to you by the Father of the universe proves his love. Yes, there is eternity separated from him that is awful. And I don't want you there and you don't want to be there and you don't want your family to be there. That's a motivation to share the truth. But we don't fear people into Jesus. We love people into him. So yes, everyone, when confronted with our mortality, runs to the cross. I want you to run to the cross every day. I want you to run to the cross in your joy. That all he's given you as a gift is because he loves you. And then when tragedy does strike, and you get that phone call that changes your life, you'll walk through that despair with Jesus by your side. Not pushing him away. Because now all of a sudden you doubt his existence. Faith and repentance are the keys to salvation. If you missed the balloon service this morning, there's a couple videos you need to go watch. There's one called Falling Plates, and there's one called It's the Gospel from Dare to Share. You need to talk to some of our youth. You need to let them lay out the gospel presentation to you. It was amazing. But you need him. And the only way to have him is with faith and repentance. Just saying you love Jesus, but then living a life that doesn't say, that's not marked with repentance, is not a clear indication of your, of your salvation, not a clear indication of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not okay just to say, I'm sorry. It's to repent. Have you guys ever had a manager, a boss, or maybe you've done this to your wife or your husband or someone you love? You've gotten caught, you got in trouble did something you shouldn't have done, and you say things instead of, I'm sorry, I know that grieves the heart of God, I know that grieves your heart, I'm sorry for what I've done to you, you refuse to own it. Instead, you say things like, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry that my actions have caused pain in your life. I'm sorry that you took it that way. Those are clear signs of an unrepentant heart, whether in church or even at work. Management 101 is never admit you're wrong. Which flies in the face of Christianity 101 is knowing you're wrong always. There's only one perfection, and we drove him by nails onto a cross. Faith is a gift from God. He puts in your heart. He gives you the faith to believe. He opens your eyes to the truth. And in our response is always repentance. You read what David did to Bathsheba. And when he's called out, he writes Psalm 51, which says, I've grieved you, God. I sinned against you and you alone. There are other people he sinned against, but all sin is a first and foremost a sin against God. That's a heart of repentance. Do you say sorry with a heart that breaks because you know you've grieved God? We saw that. We see it in Jarius. We see it in this woman whose heart was broken, we see it throughout the scriptures. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The woman at the well, have faith in me. Stop sinning. The woman who's about to be stoned, your faith has healed you. Your faith sets you free. Stop sinning. There must be repentance. 
We can't cheapen the gospel by just saying, hey, pray a prayer, you're cool. And lastly, Jesus brings death to life. We see it throughout the gospels. Jesus brings death to life. The point of the cross is where the wrath of God and the grace of God collide. That a holy God must have payment for sin. But then the miracle of his love for you is that he took it on himself. Would you do that? We say it all day long. That would you lay down your life for your brother? Would you die for someone? We lift up Medal of Honor winners because they died for their brothers in battle. We lift up citizens that jump into a subway platform, off a subway platform to throw someone back on and they perish. But would you do that? And then, take it even a step farther. Would you die for someone who rebels and can't stand you? Would you? I pray that every man in this room would die for his children. If you wouldn't, then you're not a man. I get that. People get that. Would you die for your neighbor who you fight at, fight with about the grass? Well, not here. There's no grass clippings here. You would fight over, fight over the fence, fight over the, the easement. Would you die for that neighbor? Because Jesus dies for you. He died for you. He proved his love for you on the cross. Now, yes, there's a weight. Some of you in this room have had cancer have cancer right now, have lost a spouse, have lost children, and I'm not trying to cheapen the tragedy that you've walked through. I'm not saying, because the, the, the next link is, well, if Jesus loves me so much, why did he give me this? Why is this happening? Those are legitimate questions that you take to the Father, and I promise you he'll answer them. Maybe not now, but he will. But I trust with every piece of my being that if you're a child of his, there is no wrath. There is no more wrath for you. It's not a conviction. It's not a a punishment laid out by God. The world is broken by sin, which causes us to get sick. Some of you, he may give you the gift of an illness. I know it's hard to swallow. Bear with me. He may give you the gift of an illness so that you can show the world that Jesus is trustworthy, even in the midst of pain. He has a bigger vision of our futures, not just this mere 70, 80, 90 years. He has a much bigger picture of who we are than we could ever imagine. So if I'm to leave you with something today on Easter Sunday, is I want you to walk out of here beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has no guilt or shame for you if you're his. If you have a professed faith in Jesus, he's opened your heart to him. He's opening your eyes and your ears daily. You should not walk around with fear of God. He has no animosity towards you. Of course, like a dad, he wishes you didn't make some of the decisions you make. Right? Just like he wishes I wouldn't. But there's no wrath for you. So I'm going to close with reading out of Colossians. Then we're going to pray. And then we're going to worship. And if God's been speaking to your heart, if he, there's no mistake that you're sitting in church on Easter Sunday here. Either it's to be encouraged by God's word or it's to have your heart opened up by him. And either way, his word is for you. Colossians chapter 2, starting verse 9. For in him, Jesus... 
The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He has nothing but love for you. Nothing. And if anyone tries to put a pile of rules and legalism and garbage on you, they don't understand who Jesus is. They don't. And if you allow the enemy to drive you crazy with the guilt and shame of your past, then you're allowing him to win. God's word says that the the letters of condemnation have been nailed to the cross. This is the passage that let me become a pastor. Easter, when I was 17, God opened my heart to the truth at a communion service in the church I was attending. I was a 17-year-old kid whose parents never took him to church, and I was going to church with some friends, and he opened me up. And it was years later, as I struggled to serve in church, I felt him calling me to ministry, but I was a mess inside. I didn't feel I was good enough. I carried around the guilt and shame of my past. There's no way that God could use a punk like me. Never. And then God's word washed over me that every thing that I thought about myself was a lie. That God has nothing but love for me through His Son, Jesus. That on that cross that we celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday is nailed all of your guilt and shame. And any other time you feel that weight around your neck, it's the enemy trying to take you out. Trying to get you not to serve. Not to open up your mouth in a Bible study. Not to get with people in community and live life together. And when he does that, he takes you out of the game. He takes you out of the mission that we're put on this earth for, which is to make him famous. So there's one thing I want to leave you with on Easter Sunday. It's how much he loves you. The David Crowder song or God's word. He loves you more than you can even fathom. So stop carrying around the guilt and shame that you walk with. Children of God know how much He loves you. And if you aren't His yet, I pray with everything I've got that He'd open your eyes. That He'd open up your heart today, next week, sometime soon. That it wouldn't be a tragedy, but that it'd be a full on love fest between you and the Father. And then watch out, because He's going to use you in some amazing ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for a day that we set aside to celebrate your coming to rescue us. On Christmas, we often celebrate, um, we talk a lot at Christmas about, about the cross even. But today's the day we talk about the cross. In the Christmas season, it's all about you and your name is Emmanuel, that God came with us and we're blown away that you would come to be in a fleshly body to live with your rebellious creation. You stepped out of heaven as Jesus to live a life with us. And then in your ministry of the gospel, across 
the whole Sea of Galilee all the way marching to Jerusalem, you prove that in your humanity, you're perfect. You live differently than any of us could ever hope to live. And then, Lord, you took the brunt of all of our rebellion on yourself. It was your plan that you hatched in heaven in the beautiful relationship of the Trinity. And you came on a rescue mission to take us away from all this pain. And Lord, if we're honest, there's so much that goes on in our days with our families and in the world and we watch the news and we, we clearly understand that something is just wrong. And we long for you to come back. We long for you to fix it. We long for you to bring new life to everyone so we can live with you for eternity. But until then, Lord, we see clearly in Second Peter that you're holding back your hand so that all could be drawn to you. So that puts us square on a mission. A mission to make you famous, to share your name, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, that's what Easter's about. It's about your saving grace and mercy on the cross for those who don't know you. But it's also about the motivation to bring those who don't know you in by all of us who have loved you for a while. So I pray, Lord, that people walk out of this place, maybe with a balloon in hand for their child, or with a smile on their face from worship, that they know they're loved. We love you, Jesus. Amen.